everyone. This is Pow, and welcome to our latest episode on the Libra Deccans. But before we jump into that, I wanted Mo and I to discuss the current astro weather. And then after that, we can, if, if you have any announcements, Mo, you should share them. I don't really have anything new. Um, my readings are still closed. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Um, we were right before this recording had just started talking about Mercury retrograde. So which just started yesterday. So how has that been for Ooh, you? Mercury retrograde is so loud. Um, for one, like, whew. <laughs> um, this is very much an eighth house transit. Uh, and because Mercury rules my fourth and seventh house, a lot of it has been about moving and, you know, getting certain things in order so that we can move. And um, it's been very unpleasant, I will say. Um uh, you know, because it's still the first day of everything, and you know, luckily Mercury is still trining Jupiter. There's this like attempt to, to smooth things out and make it work. And something that I've noticed for myself is I've been thinking more about Mercury ruling the lots of fortune and spirit for myself. And I'm also in a um, what's it called? I'm in an L3 uh, peak period from Gemini which is like where my lord of spirit slash fortune is and like you know I'm like okay figuring out my life's work is gonna be huge this next couple of weeks and it's funny because today on the day of the station I was asked to give a another version of the talk that I gave at my committee meeting last week literally three days ago my boss was like you did such a good job like we're gonna go over uh like what we talked about during the committee meeting so we could polish it and he's like you should share it with the lab and I'm like and then when I looked at the day it was like of course like it's the day that mercury stations direct and I'm like, are you kidding me this is a cruel joke this is such a oh, cruel fucking joke you know like uh, I don't know so yeah <laughs> Yeah, I do think the loudness, I mean, you pointed out Jupiter already, but the fact that this Mercury retrograde is also squaring Pluto, like it's, it's, it had exactly square Pluto right before the station, and then now it's going to come back around and do it again. So we oh, have like, yeah. I forgot about and I'm like, you know what, that thinking about the morning and like, you know, the last mm, 18 hours I've had, that makes a lot of fucking sense. <laughs> oh gosh for me because um, libra is in my sixth house so i'm just bracing myself that it's going to be about a lot of work stuff it's going to be about a lot of co-worker stuff i i was sharing with mo earlier that the libra mars has definitely been some unfortunate co-worker issues that haven't even fully resolved yet but they've at least simmered down but with the mercury retrograde i, I am i am a little nervous because i I'm transitioning out of my job and my hope is to be fully transitioned out by like the end of October. So um, at the, at least I'll get that last couple of weeks of October of no Mercury retrograde. It just in case things do um, kind of get messy over the next few weeks, but that's so far. I mean, you know, I, because of the time difference, Mercury retrograde started really late last night and I haven't really fully experienced today will be kind of my, my first real like I, I just also just woke up so it's gonna be my first real experience with this mercury retrograde I think I've I think we've mentioned on this podcast before that the mercury retrogrades and air signs can just 
they tend to bring up a lot of the stereotypical mercury retrograde stuff mm-hmm. in general, like technology breakdowns, communication breakdowns. And we're going to get these mercury retrogrades and air signs again for 2022. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. And I really, I really am just like n- normally like, okay, because the air signs are typically like the vocal signs and mercury does have triplicity there i think the outcomes that do come from um these retrogrades are a little more constructive even though they don't feel nice but because you know we're in a year where we're fully in the swing of air mercury retrogrades instead of having water mercury retrogrades like you know the last two years um there's a lot that gets vocalized uh this go around that you know wasn't vocalized last time and it was just about impressions and feelings and, you know, vibes. But now it's just like, you know, what was being said, what what was exactly meant by what's being said and like people having to like go back and like clarify what was. So it's, it's just a lot more active. And I think that, you know, it can be disruptive for some people, especially if you got used to like having to sit with vibes and impressions and just kind of project things out there without necessarily having to clarify there's so much clarification that's happening with these retrogrades i'm finding and it's kind of annoying actually um yeah yeah uh, and we'll be so, going i think you know because we have mercury saturn and jupiter all stationing direct oh in a few weeks God. so we can talk a bit more about that but before we jump to that um, you wanted to talk to about the Sun Mars conjunction. Yeah, is it this so weekend or next weekend? It's next week. Wait, oh. next weekend. Next weekend. Okay. Uh, okay. So there's like you know a huge. This is like a bunch of cycle resets happening in Libra, where you know we first get the Sun Mars conjunction, and then Mercury and the Sun conjoin each other. But then right after Mercury and the Sun conjoin each other, Mercury conjoins Mars again, and. What's interesting is that, you know, it's Mercury, like, having to go between, like, the Sun and Mars, both of whom are very unhappy in Libra. And I feel like it's just going to be, like, this, like, within, like, a 48-hour span of just, like, baton passing between Mars and the Sun, then Mercury and the Sun, then Mercury and Mars, and it's just, like, probably going to feel like a really bad game of telephone for a little bit. And don't be surprised if like some innocuous like comment or assumption gets made um and mercury has to whatever mercury represents in your chart represents like you know the cleanup crew for you know the demolition party that is uh mars and the sun going at it so uh just be mindful of that next weekend um yeah Yeah. I kind I of already see where that's going that. for myself. Like, mm, I'm pretending not to see it. <laughs> um, I I know I com- I actually really co- kind of completely forgot about it. I was just kind of sleeping on it because of just all the retrogrades going on. But yeah, I'll have to think about that one some more. The reason I remembered that one is because literally like two days after Saturn's direct. So it's like this blow up happens like you know then mercury clears it and starts applying to saturn and saturn's like okay done reviewing whatever it is that i was working on it's time to move forward uh so it's just like um 
<laughs> it's yeah. wild. Uh, yeah, that middle of October is gonna be so. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, that middle of October, it's gonna be like I think it's Mercury, Saturn, and then Jupiter all station direct within a week of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like around the time that Saturn is going direct, and you know Mercury's in that conjunction with both unhappy mars and sun uh you know venus is conjoining the south node in sagittarius so it's feeling like something is really getting purged next weekend so uh, just saying (laughs) oh phew Um, i wonder what will come up i'll my my partner is going to be going back home um to his home state for like the first time in four years so i'm sure a lot will come up with him but i I, that that's the biggest thing kind of coming up for me because this is gonna be our first time like apart you know since we started dating which i'm not worried about but at the same time mm-hmm. it is still like like oh yeah we haven't had like nine days away from each other yeah um i'm supposed to be visiting my friend uh and like so we will have just moved into our new place um i will be visiting my friend around that time um hmm yeah i don't like where that's going so (laughs) that's 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 all i'm gonna say um just especially because right now things are not great so um, am i gonna cancel this trip no because i didn't pay for it so (laughs) um but i think it'll be good to just kind of be in a bunker away from things especially because you know jupiter my chart ruler is like slowing down and getting ready to figure out what the hell it's doing so yeah i'm gonna hide in a bunker next weekend yeah Um, i i have a feeling that's i mean unfortunately i'm not going away anywhere i guess i could but that would be a good week i think to really hunger down Mm-hmm. whether oh, that's no. if you can go away that's nice or for me i really think i might i think i really am just gonna stay in that's yeah. that's a good idea no that's a really good idea um but yeah no i just because this configuration is happening like in the career houses for uh earth risings like i i know a lot of people with like you know tourist placements or cat placements uh who have major stuff going on at work uh and whatnot and so you know like I've, I've been thinking about who's been in my you know client room you know people close to me and you know I just really hope that everybody can you know take a deep breath and I feel like for cap and maybe Taurus risings more so that um well actually Virgo risings too like so I know a few like earth risings especially caps who've gotten like raises for example but I have a feeling and I've been warning I've been warning some of them hey so you know you got this nice race right you know Jupiter doing nice things Saturn doing nice things in your second house uh but I'm like don't be surprised if you have to start taking picking up the slack for people and taking on responsibility you didn't agree to um I feel like that is the biggest challenge for the earth risings especially um uh you know for I would say Gemini, Pisces, and Cancer Risings, because these are like transits either by your fourth house ruler or to your fourth house ruler, especially with retrograde. Um, 
move moving stuff. Well, I guess like you could say Cap Risings too for that because there's Mars and then Leo Risings. Yeah, no, Leo Risings for sure. Like moving, you know, the people you live with and then, you know, for other Fire Risings also just like relational stuff. Like, sorry. <laughs> it's 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 going to be a bit... um. It's going to be a bit rough. I think it'll get easier once, you know, uh, Venus does leave Scorpio and uh, starts to have, like, a visible relationship with all the Libra planets. Uh, yes. That will help. But it's going to be a bit bumpy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. No, Best I agree. Luck, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, um... I, I am a Taurus rising and I am job hunting right now, as you know. So this stuff really has been active in my career houses on top of job hunting. As I said earlier, mm -hmm. like I'm transitioning out of an old job. And so it's been, yeah, I think, I think work and career stuff has been really, really central. The job hunt has been like literally very up and down. It feels like it's either like feast or famine where I'm like either hearing back from no one or suddenly I'm getting like interviews lined up. Like that's this week. It's like, I just have so many interviews mm -hmm. lined up. So we'll see how the next couple of weeks play out with in between leases, all these like conjunctions in Libra, as well as all the planets stationing direct in the middle mm -hmm. of the month so i'm telling you like uh, don't be surprised if like with all the stations in your 10th especially you find that you're you've got a new gig lined up like i i will not be surprised i um, hope so because that that saturn station is right on top of my mid heaven <laughs> like exactly conjoined to it so we'll see oh yeah like then for sure like I'm biased though, so. <laughs> but, well, yeah. I will uh, confirm it. Hopefully, next month in the next in the Scorpio Deccans episode, I'll have good news to confirm, and we can talk about how real astrology is. Yes. Okay, but yeah, we can get into Libra. Oh wait, announcements. Crap. Uh. Yeah. Do you have any? Because I have zero. Mm, okay. Well, uh, if you haven't uh caught up with me by now, I am on hiatus uh for libra mars for good reason given the morning i've just had uh, and you know i tentatively am floating relaunching my books for um i guess the beginning of november but honestly i am contemplating even like prolonging when i open my books again uh, I am participating in a raffle to get the wonderful astrologer uh, Ursula Rising and her partner um, housed and, you know, safe and comfortable because they're having a hard time. So if you are going to participate in the raffle, which I think there are only there's only one more day because we're going to pick winners tomorrow for this round. Um, that's the only way you can get a reading with me. I'm offering tarot for that. Um, I'll probably make an announcement, but if, depending on how the raffle goes, like in terms of uh, finances, I am thinking about maybe temporarily opening up, you know, mini readings for people so I can raise money for them. Uh, other than that, uh, probably going to build my website at some point. I don't think it'll be launched 
this year. It'll probably be early next year after Venus is direct. Um, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, I'm on hiatus, uh, kind of indefinitely, low-key. So that's all I have going on. Uh, yeah. Same. I'm, I'm still on hiatus. Like, I, I really can't see myself going off it until like well after this job hunting process is so probably realistically won't even be thinking about it until 2022 so see you guys then <laughs> in the meantime you know it doesn't hurt to message me either because like especially if it's horary or electional like i someone just messaged me yesterday if i could do a horary and i did it in a day like with it like in less than a day mm. got the question did the reading those readings are you know kind of quick for me yeah. so they're not as much of a commitment as like the natal chart or solar return chart readings which i very likely will not open until mm. this year ends you know i might have to i've been like dragging my feet on getting electional work done for this website so i might have to like just hit you up like hey so when should i launch um uh, yeah, because I, I need to get serious about that, so it'll happen. Um, yeah, let's but talk. <laughs> yeah, uh, other than that, like, uh, honestly, I'm I don't know about you, but I'm I'm I feel like I like the podcasting vlog sphere more than consults sometimes, just because like I'm also thinking about my life as a grad student. Um, I'm about halfway through my process and I really need to start thinking about how I'm going to uh, hunker down and get published uh, mm -hmm. and do my work. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I really like the content creation side a little more. It's a little more flexible. Um, I love, you know, consulting people, but I think right now, just like given all the demands on my life and where that's going, uh, I am enjoying doing the podcast a lot more and maybe like, you know, creating content uh, to some extent. So I don't know. And then I'm just like, I don't know what we're going to do after the Deccan series. Ah, so we, we have, so we, I know we gotta, we gotta revisit our Google doc with our ideas. Cause we do have some, have some other ones. Yeah. I'm sure we'll come up with something, but it is yeah. funny. Like it, I can't believe it is starting to come to a close. Cause we started with Aquarius. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. Like, damn. Um, yeah. yeah. We're like what? Nine signs away from Aquarius. Cause we're in Libra now. So, damn. Yep. Uh, let's see. Which is funny because it's like, okay, we have, you know, our other... I, so I said this on Twitter the other day, like, uh, Libra is very low-key Saturnian. That's what I'm realizing with these transits, especially. Uh, and I'm not trying to overstate that because, yes, Libra is Venus's home, but, like... You know, Venus doesn't have triplicity in Libra, <laughs> so the relationship is a bit different. Um, and there's this, like, profound relationship between Libra and Saturn that I feel doesn't get talked about enough. So, like, let's just kind of break down the Libra archetype a bit. Yeah, I think on... <laughs> 
Yeah, on Libra and Saturn, I, I will, we will talk about this throughout this episode, inevitably, especially when we talk about that second decan of Libra mm-hmm. that's double Saturn ruled. But yeah, it goes back to, okay, you had mentioned that Venus is Libra's, um, one of Libra's, or <laughs> Libra is one of Venus's domiciles. Um, Saturn's mm-hmm. exalted there, but I um, also want to quickly note too that Mars, which is currently in Libra, is in detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sun, which is also <laughs> in Libra, is in its fall. And I, um, I think each and every one of those can speak to the Libra archetype. Um, let's talk about Saturn, just because we had started there already. But the fact that Saturn is strong in two different air signs is very fascinating to me. Um, um, you know, in Aquarius, I feel like you see... Um, like a quality control around just conceptual structures. Maybe it's not like physical structures, which you actually will see mm-hmm. a lot in the Capricorn, um, earthy, like this earthy Capricorn decans. Um, mm-hmm. In Libra, there's um, there's a lot of quality control around the concept of justice, which I think is just so funny. Why, like how how did Aquarius get the stereotype of being the quote unquote humanitarian? Deccan mm-hmm. when I feel like Libra absolutely screams that. Yeah, like I think there's this um element of like quality control and how you relate to people uh with uh Saturn and Libra. But uh I remember uh somebody uh, I think oh it was Janelle Janelle Belgrave. Uh I co-host like a I co-host a thing about like the royals and astrology with her and Kelly Glazebrook and um, Janelle uh, pointed out in one of our uh, little I think it was a post-show chat we had that Libra is one of the only signs that's uh, represented by an inanimate object uh, the scales and uh, that's something I never really thought too deeply about before because if you think about um, all of the other signs they are either represented by like you know, a human or an animal of some kind, right? And like, yeah, Libra is considered a human sign because usually there's, you know, a person using the scales. But when you think about Libra, you think about scales and you think about, you know, the concrete nature of what we assign value to. And even though like there is a Venusian component to that, there's a very Saturnian um, mode of being. And there's like this objectivity or this... uh, or this attempt to be objective that is associated with Libra that I feel is understated. Like everybody's just like Libra is just the, you know, aesthetically pleasing, like kind of airheaded when I don't think that's a, an accurate representation of the archetype. Like this is somebody who's concerned with what's fair and what people's opinions are like it's like you need in order to assign value to things you need to know what everybody thinks and that's a collective process that's not an individual process and i feel like that's part of the reason why the sun has a really hard time here like it's not all about you right um you know yeah that's like that's literally what i wrote in my notes as well is that you know the sun's all about your it's your self-interest in your life direction right and it's of course like good to know who you are what you're about what direction you're going in but yes the sun does struggle here because in in both libra and aquarius Mm -hmm. because of this collective emphasis and 
Yeah, I, I think the airheadedness, but as well as another stereotype that I don't think fully represents the labor archetype is the people pleasing. I think, but I think that is where some of that can come from as well. Like labor is like, all this flack for being people pleasers. No. And like the thing is, um, you know, because I've been having some really deep chats with my my Libra mom, uh, who's wonderful. Uh, and I feel like having the privilege of knowing, uh, being related to a lot of Libras um, has shown me that um, people pleasing or like, you know, what people call people pleasing serves an important function in life. And you know, sometimes you blend in to survive. Like sometimes that's a survivalist instinct. And I think of, again, the Saturnian nature of Libra, like in order to have relationships with people, like I know people associate Libra with relationship a lot, but it's like, okay, let's unpack that. Relating to people is not just like the Venusian, like, oh, what feels good. And I don't like when people, um, you know, say, oh, Libra is like superficial relating while um, Scorpio is the deep relating because they go with the seventh house, eighth house thing, right? And yeah. it's like, no, like you guys sleep on the Saturnian side of Libra. Like there's a lot of compromise and sacrifice that goes into forming commitments to people, to engaging with people. Like there's a lot of self-sacrifice. And I think of, again, the sun's maximum fall, like in that middle decan of Libra, Um which is ironically where uh, Saturn has its exaltation degree mm-hmm. um, as being like the killing of self to some extent to make space for uh, union with the other. And I feel like there's something symbolic in that, that people downplay a lot. And I don't think it's fair to Libra as an archetype to call it superficial relating. Cause I don't think it's superficial at all. Um, uh, it's hard and you know sometimes there are parts of yourself that you have to either conceal or you know separate from uh, in order to protect like you know for the greater good I think of Saturn and Libra as being like making necessary sacrifices for the greater good right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. um I was listening to um, Susan Chang's podcast, which unfortunately, um, you know, her, I cannot remember the name of her co-host, unfortunately, but um, they, they just did the series finale for that podcast, but I highly mm-hmm. recommend it to anyone who wants to learn more about tarot and the Deccans, but I was listening mm-hmm. to the justice episode that they did mm-hmm. on the, on the tarot card justice, which represents Libra. And it's really, really good. Like, I highly recommend it for anyone who wants to understand Libra more, as well as, of course, the Justice card. Um, I think even just what you were just saying about just, like, the tackling the superficiality, I think they bring up this really, really good point about the relationship between Venus and Saturn that um, mm-hmm. in order to create, which w- which is what Venus signifies, um, Creation often needs to be in a container or else you end up with Frankensteins or, um, you know, other things that can get completely out of control. Even something beautiful like music, right, has structure and rhythm to it. And, you know, they list all these different examples, but I think that's just another example of just how you can really see the Venus and Saturn relationship play out in Libra. Yeah. And you know what? It's also like, again, Venus is like assigning value, right? And seeking uh, consensus. And I, I I, like to frame Libra um, when I talk about it with clients and like what it means for their chart is like Libra is where you want to seek 
consensus and you want to be you know as objective as possible but like i think the trap that both libra and aquarius as well just being places where saturn is really strong and the sun is very weak um can struggle with um how do i put this they can struggle with finding it hard to see like the inherent value of projecting their own interests onto things Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like to some extent, uh, Libra struggles with this the most because they try really hard to, uh, project some kind of like thing that seems valuable, but sometimes there's this element of, you know, forgetting that, you know, Hey, like sometimes I'm doing things for other people. There can be this, like, there's this thing that gets lost in translation where, um, it's like, okay, I'm doing things for myself when in reality I'm doing it for other people. And uh, sometimes when they wake up to that, there's this like a uh, crisis. Whereas with Aquarius, mm. it's more like nobody's special. Like why, why am I pretending to be special? Um, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. You know, whereas Libra is like, I genuinely want to feel special, but like, instead of doing things that I necessarily like or would want to do, I'm going along with what seems to be what other people want. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, my as someone who has a very strong sun and a sun-centric chart, my message to any Libra or Aquarius placements out there, um, you know, who really do, um, you know, love consensus, love being part of the collective, love helping other people. Like I've just found time and time again that people just um, view it as more genuine the more you can connect it with your self-interest because people can get really suspicious when you're out there trying to say like it's all about them not about you because I think many people recognize oh, no it's got to be about a little bit about you and, that, that, and then that, that doesn't mean being selfish either it means like you know for example like in my context if you're like organizing for a cause or something you have to absolutely find be able to identify with that cause in some way or else people will mm-hmm. just think of it as see it as fake or be suspicious of it yeah and then oh god like libra mars i feel like we haven't talked enough about mars in libra and i remember again somebody got mad at me for like what 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 happened so uh i think around the ingress um mars so uh the pattern had uh something about this is a period of seeking healthy relationships and i was just like what Oh, I was God. like, I know, I know they're not marketing. I'm not. And what I wanted to say was like, I'm not saying Libra Mars people can't have healthy relationships. I'm like, I know plenty of Libra Mars people who have healthy relationships. But like, to pretend that, you know, Mars doesn't struggle in Libra is doing people a disservice. And I'm not talking about, you know, people who have this in their chart who you know, learn how to use that energy throughout their lives. I'm talking about for the rest of us experiencing a six week transit of Mars and Libra. It's not going to feel very nice for a lot of us who are not used to dealing with that kind of energy or, you know, approach Mars and its topics like in a different way. And, you know, it's just like with Mars and Libra, there's this challenge of knowing when to be, um, not necessarily assertive, but when to cause conflict and how to cause conflict. And I find that people with uh, malefics that are challenged, so malefics that are not well dignified, don't always know how to ap- apply that in the appropriate contexts. It's not just about, they're like, oh, like, it's not that I'm, you know, um, 
what's it called? Angry or like, I remember some people were like, oh, some people act like having tact is bad, but it's like, you know, there's a difference between having tact and being passive aggressive because Venusian Marses can't be a bit passive aggressive. They, they can. Um, or, you know, apply, misapply aggression in the wrong contexts, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, to perceived slights or perceived threats. Um, and it's like, okay, that's not always a constructive way of, again, voicing your concerns or voicing your needs. And again, some people don't respond well to that. Like me being a fire Mars, I do not respond well to that at all. It's like, if you have beef, lay it on the table. Yeah, I I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a mind reader. I am not a mind reader. The last thing I want to be is a mind reader. Like, and you know, um, I think another thing with like at least this set of transits, just because Mercury is also co-present, is like learning that um, learning how not to read too much into what people are saying is also like a theme that I noticed just because of the communicative nature of, you know, air placements, especially like, you know, like that's a problem. And it's just like sometimes, you know, people say things and they don't necessarily mean it in a certain way. And if you're taking certain things as slights, which I've found myself doing with this transit, I've seen other people doing with this transit. Um, you know, that's a thing that a lot of people don't know how to deal with. And I think that there's nothing wrong with um, giving voice to that. Uh, but then there's also the whole, you know, knowing how to be critical and when to be critical like that also comes up with this transit yeah yeah no i agree with you on um yeah the pa- the passive aggressiveness does come up with the libra mars or any of the venusian mars but um i think one of the possible benefits of the like venus like the mars and venus ruled signs is also the ability to um especially in Libra, right? The ability to kind of like zigzag to kind of get, you know, to the point that you want to get to, whether that's through like networking or finagling, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Mars, when Mars is in its domiciles or in other signs where it does have the um, dignity, Mars will be very much like Mars wants to get from point A to point B in like the straightest line, like the most direct way possible. And sometimes that can be good. But there are other times where that's just not either appropriate or it's just not even possible. And that's where I mm-hmm. think the the Venusian Mars can shine. No, and I think that, you know, it's great for uh, diplomacy because, again, like Venus and if you think about the dichotomy between Venus and Mars, like they're different sides of war, right? Like I'm glad that we're finally giving Venus her flowers when it comes to being a planet of war. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is the social relationships that go into conflict. This is the goal. This is the, you know, thing that we value. Mars is just like how we get it, right? And sometimes you have to use who you know and your social sphere and um, appeal to certain uh, values. So I think of like the air Marses as being very gifted with rhetoric and how to use words and um, the social sphere to really, you know, get what it is that you want or to 
fuel a conflict if necessary. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, because Libra is a sign that deals with seeking consensus and, you know, how we assign value to things, right? And what's fair and what's correct. Uh, mm -hmm. There's this ability to tap into that. I feel that Libra Marses do have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I... The last thing I wanted to talk about with the Libra archetype is the it's, it's more like the stereotype. There's there's this mm -hmm. funny stereotype that Libra is very indecisive, which kind of goes back to even just the consensus stuff you're talking about. And it's funny because Libra is cardinal air and I I have met, I myself have interpreted, I know, I have so many Libra placements in my life. Most of my really good friends are either Libra risings or Libra suns or have other, some other kind of like strong Libra placements. And mm -hmm. I will see that like what I will perceive as indecisiveness, right? Like, for example, like I have a really good Libra friend who will always ask for my opinion, as well as maybe the opinion of five other people on like two different outfits that she wants to buy. And then she will end up choosing the one that everyone did not vote for. And, and it's just her decision-making process. And what, but even in that example, what I tend to see with Libra is, yeah, maybe it sometimes can be interpreted as indecisiveness, but I think there's a lot of gravity and weight in their choices because I think mm. a lot of the air signs, especially, but, but with Libra, they recognize that by making certain choices, it does close the door to other choices. Yeah. And, um, and I think that is the conundrum of air, right? Like air can go anywhere, but <laughs> um, but but can't at the same time. There are yeah. the, and that's where the Saturn again comes in, right? The the need for a container, um, and I I think too. I also go back to just the Justice card, right? Where I think true. So I'm watching this show right now called Ozark. Have you ever seen it before? It's on Netflix. No, I keep hearing about it though. It's good. It's got Jason Bateman and Laura, Laura Linney. <laughs> and um, it's about money laundering. <laughs> the, the, it's so funny. You should watch it because, or if you do ever watch it, you will notice, or anyone who's listening has watched it, the, con the, the one of the main themes is choice. Like the main characters are constantly talking about choices, but there is one recent episode I saw where one of the characters was talking about how I don't have the exact quote, but she was talking along the lines of how just true justice is more. Um, okay, no, she, what she was talking about is how evil tends to arise when you get stuck thinking that there's no other way, that there's only one choice mm. or there's no choice. And when I was even just like meditating on the justice card and the Libra archetype, I was thinking about how true justice is more of a possibility when you recognize the multitude of choices, like the, you know, the very famous story of King Solomon, right? Where he has these two women claiming that they're the mother of this one baby. And so, and he finds this third choice, which is like, let's cut the baby in half. Um, obviously he was never meant to cut the baby in half. He, you know, it was meant to kind of be able to draw out who the true mother of this baby is. Cause the, the woman who screamed out saying, no, like, you know, don't cut the child in half, just give her to the other woman. You know, that's mm -hmm. the true mother. Um, yeah. But yeah, with justice, right? There's this constant, like, like you gotta you gotta like be able to weigh out every single option and recognize that there are multiple choices there never ever really is one choice or no choice mm -hmm. yeah no that's for sure not only that but <clears throat> what comes up for me at least when I was like sitting with the decans of Libra is that justice and like what it means to be like in the right or correct is 
I'm not saying that moral relativism is like the way, but there are situations where like morality isn't, you know, black and white. And I find it telling that, you know, Saturn does well in a cardinal air sign, um, you know, where Saturn is a little more, you know, wanting things to be cut and dry and wanting things to be, you know, either or and categorized. And I think it's interesting that like, you know, doing well in this sign where, you know, they try to weigh the options well is um, pointing to, I guess, some areas where rules and uh, value can be flexible uh, and applied in a way as long as the most people, you know, either agree with it or or okay with the consequences. So, yeah. Anything else on Libra before we jump into deck and one? No. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about Libra deck and one. So, you know, we were talking about the justice imagery and the scales. Well, this is the Deccan where you see the most of that. Um, Austin Coppock calls this one the sword and the blindfold. And that is also what you see in the card that is associated with this Deccan, the two of swords. You see a woman blindfolded with two swords in hand. Uh, this Deccan is ruled by the moon and Venus. And um, yeah, I love I think this is kind of actually the perfect segue to even just this, this the discussions we were just having around like choice and justice. So what do you think Mel? Yeah, I mean so this deck in I don't I don't know, like I'm thinking about the tarot card that is associated with it, and so that would be the two of swords. And you know, I find that the cards that are associated with Libra, I mean, with the exception of, you know, the Three of Swords, but mostly the Two of Swords and the Four of Swords, I have a little difficulty sitting with just because sometimes I feel like whether the card is good or not or is giving you a more decisive outcome, ironically, um, is very, very context dependent, right? Um, and I feel like of all of the, if you think about all the cardinal decans and their associated cards, I feel like this one is like the least, <laughs> the least decisive <laughs> <laughs> and the most ambiguous. Uh, yeah. I remember, I think it was around springtime. This is a card that I kept drawing and it was driving me nuts because, um, for me personally, at first glance, when I view this card, like I don't see it as a positive. <laughs> like I'm just like, whoa, what is this? What is this woman defending herself from? But the more I've meditated on it and just like really, and I kept drawing it, like the more I kept seeing that this card is supposed to be about like, it's supposed to be a refuge from just like the mental chatter of consciousness. You know, the swords do have to do with like our thinking and our um, mm -hmm. communication and those kind of things. And so the fact that you have a blindfolded woman with, with swords crossed across her chest and you can see the water in the back and you see the moon in this, like this is a moon world deck and you can actually see the moon in the card. Um, the other thing Susan Chen, Chen, Chang talks about with this card in her book is that she she refers to this card as the the little high priestess yes, i love it <laughs> and i do i do love it too I, I i think it actually really fits well with that <laughs> yeah um especially like the like i really like that she brought up that there is this element of tapping into this like certain elements of the unconscious and what i like about what she says 
is that, you know, you're blinding yourself to, uh, I guess, kind of heighten other senses. And you know what it made me think mm-hmm. of is how in certain bastardizations of the seven chakras uh, from India um, and related cultures is that uh, the third eye is uh, often associated with Saturn, I guess, in certain Western contexts, because there are connotations of seeing without sight. And it made me think of how, like, that's very Saturnian. And there's this, like, tangibility and whatnot to other senses besides sight. And it made me think of how, like, the places where the sun does well, especially um, Leo and Aries, are associated with that um, projection of light, right? Mm. And how a lot of how we've structured our world is, you know, based on sight and, um, we take, you know, sight is something we take for granted. And if you have like a neuroscience background, like myself, you know, that, or if you're like into like neuropsychology, um, you know, that, um, a lot of what your brain and mind does is that, especially with sight of all your senses is that, there's a lot of stuff going on in your perceptual field that you actually can't perceive because your brain is trying to make your perceptual field as um, predictable as possible. And so, you know, your senses are not as infallible as you think they are, especially your sight. And sight is something that we often take for granted, right? And so it made me think of how um, Sometimes you need to blind yourself um, and, you know, take away like the perspective you think that you have because, you know, your own um, visual field is like projecting things into, uh, I guess, the world that might not necessarily be there, really. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think of that like subtle Saturnian nature of um, of uh, Libra. And I, I really liked that she brought that up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, um, what was going to say, I, I think it could just be simply put, it's just, we often need that kind of stillness, right, to be able to, like, kind mm-hmm. of make the right decisions, and um, I think the other just kind of interesting point, I haven't really thought too much about what this means, but um, Susan Chang also points out that all of the two, um, the, like the two of swords, two of wands, and so forth and so on, um, mm-hmm. all those cards coincide with um, either the equinox or um, the solstices. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so the two, this two of swords, or you know, the beginning of Libra season marks like the fall equinox, the beginning of the increase of night, like the days are getting shorter. Yeah, you know what? I I like that, you know, she titles this the blind equilibrium while Austin calls this the sword and the blindfold. Uh, And I love how Austin emphasizes, uh, you know, um, the contradictions and um, the uh, capacity for uh, comparisons of kinds. And what's interesting is that everybody associates Libra with harmony and... um, whatnot but if you look at the journey through the decans whether you're going from a tarot perspective and you're considering like other traditional images of the decans there's actually a lot of like disjointedness and conflict that's like running in the background right or the undertones and i i find that really interesting and so i think that um the way i remember austin talking about it in the uh workshop was just like you know kind of like okay do we 
we're realizing that things are not always equal. Things are not always, you know, on the same level. And, you know, a lot of the narratives of the planets that occupy this Deccan shows how we deal with justice. Do we want to, you know, rock the boat or do we not want to? Or, you know, maybe the solutions that people have um, when it comes to seeking out equality and things like that, or um, seeking out to create some kind of balance or equilibrium. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I also like um, that he said, he says, like, you know, planets that are here in this Deccan have to figure out what to do in a situation, like when to act or not. And that to me really plays into, again, th this is a cardinal air sign we're talking about. Like, your, Libra gets so much flack for being indecisive, but no, I really think it is because, like, Libra just understands that once a choice is made, like it could close certain doors, it could open certain doors. And then that process just has to go like over and over again with each subsequent choice. Yeah. I, I'm, and I'm excited to go into that with my, I have some good examples for this deck in, but um, I know first you need to read the, um, the, what do you call it? Oh, okay. Yeah. The descriptions. Yes. Yeah, descriptions. Uh, okay. So Ibn Ezra says, this is a man in a shop in the market with scales in his hand, and he wishes to buy and sell. The Picatrix says, a man holding a lance in his right hand, but in the left, a bird hanging by its feet. And this is a face of justice, truth, good judgments, the completeness of justice of the people and weak person of doing good for the indigent. Uh, Agrippa says, in the first face of Libra ascendeth the form of an angry man in whose hand is a pipe, and the form of a man reading in a book. The operation of this is in justifying and helping the miserable and weak against the powerful and wicked. Um, and then the Yavana Jataka says, the first decanate in Libra is a man in the marketplace with the implements of his trade prepared. His limbs are covered with silk and bright ornaments. His body is black and his eyes beautiful. His places are those where the gold, merchandise, mines, and treasure. Um, I mean... Like, so it's it's just really interesting how there's this element on, like, you know, trade and commodity, like, yes. in some of the descriptions, but also, like, people who are um, trying to, I guess, do the right thing, um, which is interesting because some of my chart examples, like, to be honest, like, they're not great people. <laughs> um i'm just gonna say it they are not great people like that's so all. funny i'm so excited to see who you chose as examples because i have some pretty good ones i don't think any of them are horrible people that i know oh of God, but um but but no the commerce the commerce um descriptions um yeah I, I noticed that too but it makes total sense right because it's like we, we, yeah, we do associate scales with justice, but from a practical standpoint, like where do you see scales even to this day, like in our modern times, you see them at the grocery store or back in the day, it would be at the marketplace. And um, the just thing to do is have fully ca calibrated like scales, but there, there, there is a temptation there. There could be the chance of also just being um, swindled because you know, the, the scales aren't like weighed accordingly, which kind of goes back again to that justice and the fairness, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do want to share like a quick example who I can think of that's not like the greatest person. And I also think I've noticed that with some of the examples, there are like um, 
challenges with people who have like lots of you know resources and wealth grossly displaying it and the best examples of that are both louis the 16th and marie antoinette and so louis the 16th has literally has venus conjunct the north node in the second house um and i think about the fact that this guy was known for his gross like disgustingly gross displays of wealth <laughs> yeah and like i don't know if anybody's ever been to versailles like i had the opportunity to go like with my mom back in 2012 and being there i real i was like i understand why france did what they did because this is <laughs> this like it, it's it's obscene it's obscene how like much gold they took from the new world and you know parts of africa that they colonized and um you know murdered like it's like literally if you want to be mad at um the height of what colonialism and slavery and um what have you were doing go to versailles and just be upset i i i'm, I'm just telling you <laughs> just just do it do it it's it, like <laughs> I can't, I can't, like, I can't explain, like, how extravagant, um, like, the because the place is huge, and, like, I didn't even go to all the gardens and everything, because, like, there was just so much going on, and, yeah, <laughs> oh, my god, and then I... the fact that Marie Antoinette, his spouse, has, like, Jupiter in, in, like, a similar part of the Zodiac in her fourth house, like, that is insane. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's so funny. I have been to Versailles. I was there in 2019. The hilarious thing is my imagery on my um, my astrology website is photos from the garden. <laughs> I mean, okay. Yes, the, the Versailles is like incredibly opulent. I'm so glad you brought up Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette's examples because I did not get a look at those charts. I actually used Louis XVI for the Virgo episode because he's a Virgo rising and has Mars and I think Mercury mm -hmm. there. But um, but no, I was looking at his great-grandfather Louis XIV's chart because I was like hoping there were Libra placements because I was thinking about Versailles as well because Louis XIV was the one who, built, who began building mm -hmm. Versailles Palace. Unfortunately, he does not have Libra placements, but I probably will bring him up for maybe a future. I think he might have. I think, yeah, no, he's a Scorpio rising for sure. I'll bring him up in the Scorpio episode, oh the upcoming God, one. Yes. Um, um, but yeah, no, those are <laughs> those are really really good examples. Marie Antoinette in particular. I'm looking at her chart now, and she's got Jupiter and the Moon in the fourth house. That mm -hmm. Jupiter is in that Libra decan one, and then that Moon in that last decan of Libra but no um and that moon rules her ascendant she's a cancer rising yeah <laughs> no I had her as an example for uh the third decan but just for the fact that she is known for having these gross displays of wealth and then like you know I do consider the fact that um uh Jupiter does rule the house of uh illness and injury and I think about the fact that she's basically like beheaded for this okay like I uh, I don't know how like much more literal I could get. I'm <laughs> not to be morbid, sorry, but I'm just saying it, it's there. Um, like when I saw their two charts, I like screamed. I was like, no, this is so bad. Like, 
This is so bad. Um, Another person that I can think of is uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. She has (laughs) the sun conjunct Pluto, I believe. Let me uh, pull up her chart. Yep, she's got the sun conjunct Pluto in her eighth house in uh, Libra. And, you know, everybody knows her for her um, lifestyle blog, Goop. And, you know, she's a she's an actress who's benefited heavily from nepotism. Like, I mean, the fact that, you know, her parents, because her dad was a director, basically scored her a job. And, like, consider the fact that, you know, she is a Pisces rising and uh, the sun, Pluto, squares her Jupiter in the 11th, even though it's a depressed Jupiter in Capricorn. Uh, Jupiter rules her midheaven. It rules her ascendant. It's squared by the sun. Um and i think of the son as like you know the father in some respects and it's just like the fact that like basically her dad got her this job and made her relevant and she has a jupiter rejoicing benefiting from this aspect like it's just so loud and i think of the fact that she's used her like influence and whatnot to use all these like marketing schemes to like get rich people to basically buy ridiculous things and i think of the fact that her website promotes all these like really shady health practices some of which she steals from other cultures and um you see where i'm going with this like uh, like so it's interesting that you know um there's the element of somebody setting trends and somebody assigning value to things somebody who's all about commodification right that shows up a lot with placements in this decade and so it's interesting that her whole brand is like selling these like shady health practices to you know mostly rich white women who have nothing better to do than hang off her every like word right and so it's just it's just kind of wild right i don't know well yeah i do not like all her woo -woo shit and as Mm. well as just also stealing from other people but if she's gonna scam anyone at least it's rich people (laughs) other rich people like her i mean i think like so kim kardashian also has saturn exalted like in the 11th house uh ruling her second and third and like basically she was the stylist and best friend of paris hilton so her proximity to well-known people but like apparently she she and her sisters would do this thing and it's funny because like Saturn rules the third house, which is siblings. They would literally scam people in their network by running up their credit cards. And they would basically steal from them. Like, literally. And she's built her brand, she and her sisters especially, built their brand off of doing that. And I think it's interesting how it's also showing up as her, like, desire to use her platform now to help people who are incarcerated. And I think of the fact that Saturn does rule the incarcerated and it's it's just ironic it's like you scammed your way to the top and now you want to act like you're this like arbiter of justice like it's 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 just so i don't know <laughs> wow you do have some pretty bad like examples of not so great people mm-hmm. <laughs> but these are good examples um I have a couple of good um, Libra moon examples because this is a moon rule Deccan. So mm-hmm. um, Rosie O'Donnell is one. And I thought she was interesting because 
her moon in Libra is in the fifth house, ruling her second house. But, you know, in terms of the fifth house stuff, Rosie O'Donnell um, herself identifies as LGBTQ and has been a big advocate of those rights, but especially mm-hmm. on gay adoption. And so I thought that was like really interesting that she's got that moon in the fifth house. Um, you know, I, she she didn't come out until like, you know, because she, she's kind of famous for her the Rosie O'Donnell show, which she had in like the 90s and then it like ended in the early 2000s. But she came out like in like within like the last two months of the show. She already knew the show was like going to end. And then she took a really long hiatus. It was about five, four or five years until she came back for um, I think it's The View, I believe, that she came back on but um that was one example and then the other uh, moon and libra example i have is Derek jeter and keep in mind i know nothing about baseball so i had to talk about this with my partner and i also had to read wiki but i i found him to be a really good example so his libra moon is in his 12th house um but it rules his cancer stellium he has like three or so planets in cancer and he mm-hmm. he's known for he he was in the New York Yankees for his entire twenty year um, pro career as a baseball player and um, he was you know a lot of people will be like oh Derek Jeter's overrated but a lot of folks believe that the reason why he was so good is he was just so good in the postseason like he always he, and he was just mm. in the consistency like he was just always consistently good and then people always knew he would come through at the end like the nerves and all of that and the pressure wouldn't like he wouldn't cave mm. into wow. it and um but the fact that he consciously chose to like stay with the yankees for the entire 20 years just makes me think about just like the the, the choice associated with libra um and i think my only other thing to just note this is an interesting point is that his moon um he's most famous in terms of his dating life for dating mariah carey and his moon's <laughs> conjoined to mariah carey's jupiter oh wow i i didn't know that that's that's kind of wild uh <laughs> So, uh, I mean, the only other, I have a couple of moon examples. Uh, Sylvia Plath is a little too intense, so I won't talk about her. <laughs> um, but, uh, Meghan Markle's a good example because she's got that moon conjunct Saturn Jupiter in her fourth house. And I think like, you know, she's somebody who's like chosen to, uh, use her platform being married to someone from a insanely privileged family to uh speak out on lots of issues especially surrounding like women and whatnot and it's funny because she's like really really political even though like uh you know by convention the uh royal family tends to be neutral or what have you uh so i think that's really interesting um I think also uh, what's funny is Issa Rae, so uh, the wonderful woman who gave us Insecure, (laughs) an awkward black girl. Um, Hers is more of a cute example because what's interesting is that uh, she's got her moon in the sixth house. Uh, It's ruling the IC and the third. And what's interesting is that her dad is actually a doctor (laughs) and she went to a science and magnet high school. which is when she ironically started doing acting and like content creation. And at some point in her life, she was deciding whether she wanted to go to business school or law school and tabled the decision because her web series, Awkward Black Girl was taking off. So I thought that was just like a cute little interesting example. And she has a giant ninth whole sign house stellium in Capricorn. So I think she'll be a great (laughs) example. 
for Capricorn. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. I have a couple of other examples. Oh, Picasso. So Pablo Picasso has a third house Venus here. And he is someone who had a great aptitude for art. And he actually went to some prestigious art school where he completed, there was like some rigorous like examination process you had to do to get in and it took like a month. But like one, he was younger than everybody else. And two, like he was, he has such high aptitude that like he completed that process in a week, right? Not only that, but at various points of his life, like he's very political and outspoken with his art. And so uh, when he was living in Paris, he founded an anarchist magazine and they uh, would depict pictures of like, you know, poorer people. And like, he kind of gave like, not to, like, it's like, okay, it's a bit voyeuristic, right? Because, you know, he himself was not necessarily always a poor person. You know, he comes from a reasonable amount of privilege, you know, being, having a dad who was like a teacher at an art institution, right? And, you know, he eventually rises to fame, but it's like, he would depict all of these like, very political things that were happening and so it made me think of Guernica which is probably the most famous of his political artworks where he depicted what the Germans did to um this was under Franco's regime um in Spain uh where Franco the dictator made a deal with like Hitler or something so that they wouldn't get conquered and like he let them use um I think it was a region of like northern Spain. I can't remember if it was like the part where like mostly Basque people live or the part where most of the Catalan speaking people live. Um, But he let them, you know, use that as like basically like plane bond practice and a lot of people died. And, you know, Picasso depicted this like really grotesque and really powerful work. And, you know, uh, apparently at one point when the Nazis had conquered uh, Paris, where he was living at the time, uh, you know, they commented, oh, like, this is an interesting artwork. Like, did you make that? And he retorted, you did that, right? Like, because, you know, this was something you did. And so it's interesting how, like, that shows up in his um, artwork. And I think uh, Venus rules his temple, same house as well. So it's like, you know this was a huge like part of his reputation that I feel that some people sleep on. Like he was very like political and outspoken with his art, uh, believe it or not, even though Picasso himself is not really a great person. So uh, the only other example I want to share is uh, Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So like, let me comment. So her chart ruler, Mars, she has this in common with uh, what's his name? Freud, but I will not get into Freud, honestly. Um, they both have a 12th house Mars in this Deccan, ruling their ascendant, right? I just think it's funny how, like, her dad was, like, a tobacco shop owner, and, like, she was called the Iron Lady. Those are very martial things. And so despite <laughs> having Mars in, you know, Mars debilitated, you know, she's very martial. Uh, and what I think of with this particular placement is there was this period where she was a uh, secretary of education, uh, and she like got a lot of flack for denying kids milk when she was education minister. And I was thinking of what you were saying about uh, people not speaking up when they should, right? And the thing is, she didn't even agree with the policy, and she wasn't vocal about it because there was somebody else in the cabinet who really wanted it to go through and so it went through 
Um, but I also think about the fact that like Mars rules the sixth house of you know labor, and I think of how she was the enemy to labor unions everywhere, and how um, she felt like she needed to be pro privatization and eliminate government programs because she felt like government support was a precursor to authoritarianism and her making these austere choices was to prevent you know um everybody from becoming like you know communist um soviet union or whatever because that was a big deal to them right and so i just think of how she did all these awful things and um yeah she was awful period (laughs) oh gosh Uh, you did you really did find all the awful people examples (laughs) my yeah my last examples so um i wanted to point out like in 1981 there was a saturn jupiter conjunction Mm -hmm. in um in libra and so megan markle this is like one of the examples you gave already where she has that in this decan um but you know a lot of the members of the mickey mouse club (laughs) um have that conjunction so i think that's really interesting so you got justin timberlake christina aguilera ryan gosling they all have that and yeah i it makes me think about just especially in the context of this decade especially but like you already have a decade where it's like all about like choice but like needing to kind of be still in order to make those choices and then you add jupiter and saturn conjoined in there i just think of just this that jupiter saturn conundrum of wanting to do everything but also recognizing there's like this like limits and stuff um i just think about how justin timberlake has you know like you know he's one of the best musical artists but he started out like everyone who started in the mickey mouse club started out in acting first right like um christine aguilera is the same thing um mm-hmm. ryan gosling is like doing acting now but now he's like trying like he's doing more of like the directing and production side of things now um yeah, yeah i i wish i could do a deeper dive into this because obviously they all have different rising signs and yeah. therefore this conjunction just falls in a different place even megan markle yeah. is a good example of like she she originally is had went um, into... yeah. yeah she wanted to be a politician actually funny story <laughs> um but you know she she liked you know international relations she liked theater and you know she she able she was able to make it come full circle for herself um you know another good example is serena williams who actually is a giant libra stellium but i think her saturn and jupiter are both in the second decade um uh who else beyonce but yes. i will not be talking about beyonce because i don't think she is a libra rising um, i don't think so either yeah I honestly know. I especially one- especially now like before okay but like beyonce now um, no (laughs) (laughs) no yeah i also had like a note in my or something in my notes that's like beyonce with a question mark i'm like eh, no i don't i don't think she's a labor rising that could be a whole last episode in itself it's probably the hottest take we'll have on today's episode yeah people might be mad to hear that so i will refrain from talking about like in the honor of Libra season, out of respect for everybody, I will not be talking about Beyonce's chart. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have one final quick example uh, of of Venus and Libra, because this is also a Venus rule decan, but Dave Mm -hmm. Chappelle has it in his second house, conjunct Pluto, and it just makes me think about his decision to leave a $50 million contract with Comedy Central, which is a good reminder. Oh, I remember that. 
Yeah, like Venus isn't all, you know, peace and harmony and stuff. Venus is also values. And, you know, there was a lot of talk around how it, it really was kind of coming up against what his own values were. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, but, you know, honestly, he lucked out because wasn't that like what prompted him to eventually sign a deal with Netflix, if I'm not mistaken? I think so. Yes. Okay. Yes. So. Um, it worked out (laughs) it worked out see choices (laughs) any other examples no uh i think we can go on to libra 2 which is oof this decade (laughs) (laughs) yep double saturn it's austin refers to this as links of a chain and then you have the three of swords as the tarot card representing this decade which is that is one of those cards where you draw it and people's reactions will tend to be like oh no um yeah i I, in whether you're reading like susan chang or even just some of austin's um, descriptions or if you're like even thinking about the three of swords there's a lot of heartbreak um tends to be associated with this card um i mean it really literally is three swords going through a heart but the other thing too associated with this right this is double saturn like the um you know, the binding together through contracts or promises or agreements comes with this too. Or, um, you know, Susan Chang talks a lot about like, yeah, this card could be heartbreak, but there's, it could also be commitment. Like she's also seen that come up in her own readings um, mm-hmm. because without attachment, there is no suffering <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of to unpack with this card or in this second. Yeah, um, not only that, but I really liked how um, she talked about uh, Saturn ultimately being a an indicator of the extremes of wealth but also poverty and I remember um, Saturn if you know of the depictions of Saturn's two wives one of them is ops which is like you know wealth and opulence and I forget what the other one was but that was like you know um, destitution and not having right um, and I that also reminded me of um, another book that everybody needs to go read. It's uh, what's it called? Postcolonial Astrology by Alice Sparkly Cat, aka Ace. They are wonderful and they do a brilliant job describing the unique relationship between the um, luminaries and Saturn in terms of mm. how they represent raw material and the value which we assign to it, right? And so I think about the fact that. Um, You know, Saturn is, the way that Saturn represents wealth is a lot of it is tied to land and agriculture because Saturn has to do with agriculture. And what I loved about 36 Secrets is that Susan Chang talks about um, the need to pick crops once they've ripened, because if you don't pick them today, all all they can do is rot, right? They've reached the maximum of like, how you know ripe or what have you they're going to get and that's when they have maximum value so there's this element of like reaping and sowing right it's like it's time to reap what we've sown or else like you're going to just lose it and so there's just and i think of what um austin talks about in his description as like finding the right time to seize something or do something because once if you don't do it you know the opportunity is lost to you forever right you can't always, it's not like one of these things where you can go back and do whatever. No, sometimes it's permanent, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was really loud with the deck in. 
Yeah, I, um, the double Saturn. So the other thing on the double Saturn that's interesting to me is that the other <clears throat> double Saturn Deccan is a Taurus three, another Venus mm-hmm. domicile. And, um, <laughs> I think it it makes me think a lot about, again, it goes back to just the Venus-Saturn relationship. Um, They often say that the opposite of joy is fear (laughs) and that we tend to, we tend to worry (laughs) when we actually, we'll only really worry when we care about something or someone, right? So when I think about Taurus 3, right, you see the man looking at his pentacles and a lot of the um, significations of that Deccan and the card associated with that Deccan is um, preparing and like kind of trying to think ahead and just, yeah, Murphy's law does exist, but like, how do you kind of get ahead of those things? And that being an act of like love and care, right? Um, This Deccan is um, similar in that, um, yeah, it, it, it's it, well, it's not so much like preparing for the worst, but it's so much more like, again, it's just the binding together through like agreement and contract and just recognizing mm-hmm. that, yeah, again, with the Venus and the Saturn, right, like commitment. Um, yeah, cr- commitment does come with the weight that Saturnian weightiness of like responsibility and duty. Yeah, not only that, but um, I think about the fact that, you know, both Saturn's uh, exaltation degree lies in this Deccan, but uh, the sun's maximum fall is here. And it's like, this is where, and this is where I think of what I was saying earlier, uh, we were talking about the Libra archetype is that, you know, people act like relationships are just all about like attraction and liking each other. It's like, no, this is where the real work in relationship starts and i think it's interesting that it's in this decan as well where the via combusta starts because that's at what like 15 libra that that starts and it goes to mm-hmm. uh 15 scorpio and i think a lot of people uh sleep on the fact that relating to others and entering agreements requires self-sacrifice which is a very saturnian virtue and um requires like a lack of celerity like where you're project focusing on projecting like you and what you're interested in because in order to move or get anywhere uh i think of the fact that uh susan chang describes um the element of dancing right Mm. and the partners have to move together in lockstep and agree on the direction in which they're going to move the cadence at which they move like you're trying to have this moment where you're holding on to each other and being in motion, right? Uh, but then when you step out of rhythm, everything, you know, um, everything gets thrown off, right? And so I, I really like that uh, metaphor. And I feel like it's a great way of thinking about the ways in which you have to kind of give up your own will and submit to someone else's will and vice versa in order to move and move in a purposeful direction together, right? And create something that is, again, of value or beautiful to both of you, right? I like it. Um, did you want to read the descriptions or is there anything yeah, else you yeah, want yeah. to add? Uh, I have nothing else to add. I can uh, read the descriptions. So Ibn Ezra says, this is a man in the form of an eagle and he is naked and thirsty, and he's about to fly in the air. Um, The Picatrix says, a black man having a journey of marriage and joy. 
and this is a face of quiet joy, abundance, and of the good life. Um, Agrippa says, in the second face, ascend two men, furious and a wrathful man, uh, in a comely garment, sitting in a chair. And the signification of these is to shew indignation against the evil and the quietness and security of life with plenty of good things. Uh, and then finally, the Yavanajataka says, the second decanate in Libra is a fair-waisted woman who knows the meanings and crafts. She wears bright garments and a bright pendant necklace. She's clever in the office of an intermediary between lovers for the sake of the bridegroom her actions are like those of rogues and sheets um yeah so it's almost like especially that last description i don't know about you it's almost like signing away whatever to commit to something so that you can get something better right yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah no yeah i feel like yeah, all, all of the decans, right, are like, and then even you look at the associated parts or like, it's telling a story within it, right? So if you're like looking at the two of swords and it's like, okay, you know, how do you achieve stillness or even just kind of blocking out some of your senses to be able to make a decision? Um, this card, the three of swords is often making <laughs> that decision. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be heartbreaking, um, but that can be very well be part of that process as well but yeah sometimes it could also to lead as you were just saying to um choices actually do lead to better things like opening new doors that kind of thing hmm. yeah no and when i see that last description from the yavana jodica i'm like that's literally chris jenner <laughs> 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 literally chris jenner because she has her mars in uh that decan in the second house it's oh, it's yeah. too funny um yeah that's awesome my examples i have some good saturn ones because this is the double saturn deccan um one is leonardo da vinci who has Ooh, okay. the saturn retrograde but in his 11th house ruling his second house and third house and mm -hmm. um you know da vinci had a lot of just community and connections and it's not even really from his rank it's not like he was like a he came from nobility or anything um mm -hmm. I, I think it's yeah but nonetheless like i think he was able to build the kind of relationships that kind of really helped him in his career as well as just taking care of him financially of course um in terms of like how I see this um, play, like his placements play out in like this deck in particular is, you know, he, as well as others like Michelangelo, but he has, um, he has that reputation of being the Renaissance man, right? Like he is like the definition of the Renaissance man who just um, is well-versed in like a variety of different topics and skills, whether that's um, art, painting, sculpture, but also science, engineering, like all these kind of things. Right. But um, one of the the reality with da Vinci is his multitude of hobbies resulted in the incompletion of so many works he actually really didn't he doesn't have very many complete paintings um the fact that he experimented so much with his mediums like is the reason why mm -hmm. so many of his paintings are falling apart like the last supper for example he was trying to experiment with oil and water based oh. um, paints <laughs> which is why it's it's like a whole oh. last mess that constantly needs to be retouched <laughs> so um so yeah i i think um not to say i'm sure da, Vin da vinci had commitments in so many ways and obviously his he does his completed works are some of the most well-known works of all time but you know he the fact that he just couldn't land on something or he was just constantly trying to do everything 
um, I think ended up resulting in just, yeah, he was just kind of all over the place. Yeah, no, um, I think of the, uh, I have a couple of Saturn examples. One of them is Britney Spears. She actually has Saturn (laughs) on the exaltation degree in her first house. And I think of the fact that, you know, when she was young, like whenever I see Saturn placements, there are uh, things about extremes with age. So like there's extreme youth, but also extreme like like in terms of like being older either being older than usual to complete something or like younger than usual to do something and so she you know especially in terms of her dancing and performing like she has always had it since she was like five like she made her first stage debut at like five uh, when she auditioned for um, some local show and I think it's interesting how again she is probably going to be like um, probably like eternally remembered for like what she did for pop music in the 90s and early 2000s especially um, and it sucks because like you know Saturn is her malefic out of sect right and um, I just think of the fact that you know her public life has almost come at the expense of her private life uh, and so for her to maintain the superstardom like she was put in this conservatorship by her parents. And so I think of the element of betrayal that does come up with uh, difficult placements in this decade, even if it is Saturn. Like in her case, it's because Saturn's the malefic out of sect, right? Like, and I think of how, you know, there was this contract she had and she was exploited through contracts despite having all this great skill. And it's luck- it's lucky for her that like, I think this is getting resolved. Like, I think her conservatorship is ending, right? Yeah, her um, father, I think, um, just filed to just yeah, end it. Which yeah, which I'm I'm really happy for her. Um, and I, I, you know what? I think that um, it's interesting that this is coming, like, with, uh, I guess, like, the transition out of her Saturn square period and into her, like, Saturn shrine. And so I'm wondering if, like, this will be a period where she's focused more on, like, creating for herself rather than creating for other people. Uh, uh, and then my other Saturn example is um, Serena Williams, who has that giant um, Libra stellium in her sixth house. And I just want to say, like, I really love that uh, Saturn rules her Capricorn midheaven, but also her Aquarius temple sign house from the sixth. And, like, she's known for being, like, literally the goat uh for uh tennis but especially women's tennis and uh two things that come up for me is i think of the fact that she and her sister uh really did well with doubles which was like more so characteristic of the rise in her career but i also think about the fact that um because again saturn is her malefic out of sect too right and so even though she's won all these titles i think of the fact that saturn is in the sixth house having to do with injuries and she's someone who's had to withdraw from a lot of competitions and stuff because of a lot of bone related injuries like if it's not her back it's like her like her lower legs which are like you know associated with Saturn and Aquarius so it's just it's just really loud how um she's been able to be like so decorated in spite of like her um her like injuries and I think of the fact that her career was characterized a lot by her rivalry with um Maria Sharpova for example who's actually an Aries I believe which is really funny funny. (laughs) it's so funny because uh Serena's a Libra and I I believe Maria Sharpova is an Aries so 
Oh, Maria Sharpova does not have a confirmed birth time, but yes, you are right. She is, she, she, she has an Aries stellium. Ah, that makes it even better. She, like, has, she also, on top of the sun, she also has Jupiter and Mercury and Aries. That's fucking that makes it so <laughs> better. Are you kidding me? Like, oh, yeah. oh that my makes god, love it. Uh, yeah. I, I have another um, Saturn example, and this person also it has a night chart, um, so Saturn is the malefic out of sec, but Kurt Vonnegut has Saturn in this decan in his second house, ruling his fifth house and sixth house, and um, you know he's 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 a writer, he's a famous writer, his probably his most famous book is Slaughterhouse Five, but he um, he writes a lot in that book and, and I think in some of his other works about coming to terms with war and debt and death and because of his own experience being a World War II, not only a World War II veteran, but he was a POW in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could only imagine, obviously there's just the, the um, horrors of war that he had to endure, but to like actually use the writing process to hash that out, I'm sure, you know, like as, as someone who writes myself, like, while that may have probably brought some just like um some closure and maybe even some healing for him i'm sure it was just like kind of painful nonetheless um so that was just my last quick like saturn example in terms of other examples oh oh, you have have a saturn Saturn. example uh so the astrologer john gadbury (laughs) uh he's an english astrologer who's known to like write almanacs but he has a, a treatise on horary for example right I think it's interesting how Saturn rules like his third house uh, from the 12th and it's exalted. And what's interesting is that even though his bio is very limited, I think it's interesting how at first he was like a follower and like fan of William Lilly. And then he, um, you know, he turned on him (laughs) like 20 years later. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Yeah. Which is interesting because William Lilly has his uh, chart ruler Jupiter in the eighth house in, uh, uh, in this part of Libra. So uh, William Lilly is a Pisces rising ruled by Jupiter in this decan. So I thought I thought that was a uh, really um, interesting. And like this guy always, uh, so in Gadbury's case, because it's like a 12th house Saturn, like he's always having like run-ins with the law and like getting, you know, wrongfully imprisoned and like being suspected of plotting against people and stuff like that so i think it's interesting how like certain elements of like you know the social circles he ran in just thinking of third house as like people you're close to uh Mm. people you engage with um and stuff like that so i I don't know but that's really interesting (laughs) no i'm glad you brought up william lily because i have i'm pretty sure i used him as an example in the taurus episode because he's got that taurus stellium but the Mm -hmm. fact that his chart is his chart and his midheaven are ruled by that Jupiter um, in Libra in the eighth house. Um, mm-hmm. I think that worked out for him in that he ended up marrying a, a really wealthy woman. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, so good for him. Um, but he, I know, both both of them had, but Lily too, I think, might have been in prison for like a brief period of time. Yeah. Just all the, all the stuff going on with just the monarchs or then just the political stuff at the time yeah (laughs) yeah um in terms of other placements (laughs) i i saw beyonce on here too but i i i don't really 
really have any notes and no one else to say about her because um but my other one is um ryan gosling has venus in libra on this deck in um personally i i mean he, he doesn't do it for me but he is known for being like one of the most like attractive men in hollywood he mm-hmm. he's most famous for you know these romance dramas right like the notebook is what really really sparked his career um and then i also remember this was years ago already now um but he the, remember those hey girl memes that were like popping up and it was just all yeah. just, like, images of ryan gosling <laughs> so i just think a lot about this oh yeah he's got that he's got that venus and libra yeah uh so i have a mars i have a mars mercury example in this decan and it's actually uh bill gates uh and what stood out to me is that like in his bio um when he was little uh his he was always bullied a lot (laughs) and his parents instead of like you know um you know being kind and trying to encourage him they were like overly competitive people and they said you need to basically like be better than other people and they really wanted him to be like that kind of person so I thought it was really interesting that his parents um were like that and there was also like this element of them really wanting him to have a certain like career but obviously he didn't do that and so (laughs) I just think it's like pretty interesting um yeah I don't know, like, how his parents were, like, you know, like, those waspy people, you know, like, the stereotypical wasp, who's, like, yeah, what are feelings, what's that, um, you need to, like, basically go and be, like, a functioning member of society and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's fascinating, because I'm, I'm looking at his chart now, and it's, like, his... <laughs> His IC is in Libra Deccan one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking. I'm looking at where his moon is. Right, it's like complete. It's like it's it's opposing the IC. It's conjoined to mm-hmm. the MC in Aries, <laughs> and so to have parents like that. Oh, and that moon rules his ascendant. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. and it's just like I don't know. Like I feel like Bill Gates' story is like you know the the stereotypical like Revenge of the Nerds. Right. Look at me. I'm like people were mean to me when I was growing up and my parents weren't like the most nurturing people. So now I'm going to like make a shit ton of money, like pursuing my hobbies with tech and like play God essentially, because I have ridiculous amounts of money that like, that's so loud. That theme is so loud in his chart. It's actually kind of obscene. Um, (laughs) And it's just like that, that explains a lot. And then I, I think about the fact that like, Mars rules his fifth house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he like said he wouldn't give his kids money or something. I don't know if he was one of those billionaires <laughs> who's like, yeah, I don't want to give my kids money or something. Where he has like these yeah. like strict rules about what is and isn't going to be inherited. And then I also think about the fact that he and his wife just like announced that they are splitting. And I remember some stuff came out about like the arrangements of their like living situation and dating life that came out about like him having this ex he was still kind of involved with and like having permission to go see her once a year or some shit like it it was wild (laughs) 
wild. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There's so much to unpack with this chart. We, maybe he'll probably come up again in the Scorpio episode. In the Scorpio right? episode. <laughs> yep. But he has he has that um, that Mars Venus mutual deception that we're all experiencing right now as a transit, like that Mars and Libra, <laughs> and then that Venus in Scorpio. So very interesting. I think those are all my examples for this decade. Do you have anything else? Mm-hmm. Last examples again, Margaret Thatcher, because she has her son here. It's funny because like the sun rules her midheaven, right? And so yeah. what's ironic is that even though she was like her whole life is ironic. Like I think the sun is actually at the um maximum fall. Like it's near the degree of max fall. And uh What's interesting is that even though she, like, influenced a lot of, um, you know, the political future of Britain and uh, what have you, a lot of her uh, approach was to have these, like, audiences with foreign leaders because she felt like in the House of Commons, people didn't pay enough attention to her, especially when it came to foreign policy. Um and so i feel like that's like a very it's like oh i'm gonna go seek attention like in a foreign place which is the 12th house um because people either don't like pay enough attention to me or like they don't seem to like me enough like i thought that was really interesting um yeah and then also people i think of the sun as being the ruler of like the monarch and you know a huge point of intrigue during her tenure as um what's it called prime minister Minister. was her relationship with queen elizabeth and even though people were like people in elizabeth's camp were like leaking stories to the press that like they had this very toxic relationship she painted a whole different picture of it so i thought that was really that was really interesting uh oh i do have a set of examples i can group together i guess So I love talking about the royals because their whole shit is a mess. It's it's a hot mess. It's like a mess. And so uh, so uh, both uh, William and Kate, like they're born on opposite sides of that Mars retrograde in Libra in 1982. And they have like the Saturn, Mars, Pluto pile up in Libra. And I think it's interesting that William has Saturn in the 11th house in this Deccan. And I think it's pretty close to his Mars and it's funny because if you think about like the betrayal themes of that third uh what's it called of the uh three of swords and like the second decan of libra like it's interesting how like uh harry and his chart is represented by that uh saturn and harry's just kind of said fuck the family fuck these rules and is like reaping the benefits from doing that right uh, and I think about the fact that Harry has a 10th house Venus in this Deccan, um, you know, uh, ruling his 10th whole sign house and his fifth. And so, you know, Harry's really benefited from, you know, shirking some of these rules and like, you know, choosing to protect his family, for example, rather than, you know, sit there and take abuse. And I think of the fact that, you know, maybe there's this resentment that William has because like, you know, the Mars rules William's midheaven, right? And it's pretty close to the Saturn. <laughs> And so I think of like the um, rivalry there and like, so like this, this weekend, like I know William was supposed to be announcing some like big prize that he's like set up for people who have like, um, 
things that they want to do for the environment. But then I felt like a lot of that got overshadowed by, um, you know, Harry and Meghan, like, going out and um, what's it called? Doing the glo- Global Vax or uh, Global Citizen Live concert series for uh, getting people vaccinated. Uh, and I think it's interesting how Kate Middleton, she kind of has a similar setup, but I think her Saturn is later and her Mars is in this deck and actually, and Mars rules her fourth house, but it also rules the ninth. And I think of the fact that um, Mars rules her parents. And I think of the fact that apparently her mom like encouraged her to give up her spot at a better school so that she could go to school with William so that she could get closer to him. Like, I, like, I don't know how much wow. louder that could be, right? Wow. I mean, she bagged the prince, but, like, you know, she got into a much better school than the one she ended up going to. And it's just really sad that she, like, threw that away so she could marry this guy. Like... <laughs> That's crazy. I, I didn't yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wild stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's do this uh, last deck in. <laughs> yes. Number three. All right. So this is a Jupiter and Mercury ruled deck in. Um, Austin calls this the gyroscope, and I'm, I'll be honest, I really still don't understand what this is. Okay, I thought it was just (laughs) me. This Deccan is so hard to understand, in my opinion. (laughs) It really is. And it is one of those cards. It is um, the the card associated with this, the Four of Swords, also known as the Lord of Truce, um, really is kind of perplexing. Like, so far, when we've kind of traveled through the three Deccans, uh, you could you could see the story really clearly. This one's like a little strange, where it's like, okay, you've got Libra Deccan one, where it's like, okay, choice it. You got You need stillness to make a choice, and then you've got Libra Deccan two, which is you know, well, sometimes there's just like heartbreak in the choices that we have to make, and it's like, okay, and then now we're at this third Deccan, where it's like, okay, we're st- we're still again. Like, is this guy dead? Is this guy sleeping? There's just always those questions when people view this card for the first time. Yeah. I, you know, like, I, okay, so when I was looking at um, the 36 Secrets description, uh, I really like that she decided to talk about, like, the contradictions that exist with, like, physics. And she's like, there's something that's very physics-heavy about understanding the Stekin. Mm-hmm. And how, like, you know, there's a lot of resistance when things are um, too large. And so sometimes a lack of movement can make these things look smoother. Or, um, you know, when it seems like it's good to um, take one course of action for movement, it's better to do the opposite thing. So I think of, like, you know, the irony of, like, when you're swimming, for example, like, you know, how some people freak out. Like, you shouldn't freak out because you're going to float anyway, even if it doesn't seem like that. Uh, I think of some of that. And then I like that she brings up, like, their elements of, like, exploring altered states of consciousness and the ways in which we can access that through, like, removing ourselves from the calamity of life. And I think that's a huge, um, that's a huge theme that does show up in this particular decan. Um 
but it's still so hard to understand, especially because the images are so like they're so like disparate and like disjointed and what have you. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 I think it's a very paradoxical Deccan. Like even when Susan Chang, the other example she was giving, right, of just the movement and balance is the tightrope walker who needs mm-hmm. to make themselves appear and be bigger. That's why, like, when you see tightrope walkers, for example, they have their hands, like, completely just spread out, and it's meant to kind of counter that balance, which, you know, she connects with just the fact that this is, this is Jupiter-ruled Deccan. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, you know, she brings up, too, is the, um, the Wheel of Fortune is associated with Jupiter, right yeah. and so this this card or this decans the wheel of fortune and justice combined and she brings up just even the wheel of fortune um it's it's spinning right so there's obvious movement but there is also just like a stillness in it too where it's like the wheel is not going anywhere either it's just kind of like mm-hmm. this spinning spoke kind of suspended somewhere it's going on and on and on yeah i yeah, this one this one's a bit tough for me. I, I will say that. Uh so if there are any people with uh placements in this deck in, I'm so sorry. Like I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> um yeah, it, when I have drawn the Four of Swords, like the meaning does end up just kind of ringing really loud and clear. It's not a card I draw very often, but it does come up on days where I do really just need to sit and rest and meditate and like really think through like a decision that needs to be made. Um, I have I have an, actually like a few of my examples that kind of do point that out, which is like really interesting. Um, and then, yeah, on Austin's description of this being, like, the gyroscope, it, again, kind of goes back to this, like, um, like movement across, like, multiple axes or um, movement just requires an uneven distribution of weight, right? Like, even when we're walking, for example, right, it's like we are unevenly distributing our weight from one foot to another and then back and forth and back and forth. Um, yeah. This 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 is a this is a tough <laughs> this is a tough deck in tone pack. Um, I'm gonna let you start with your examples first because. Oh, do you want to read the descriptions first? Because I am oh, curious shit, to hear them. Right. Okay. Yes. I feel like the descriptions are also gonna make this even weirder. Um. Okay. So Ibn Ezra says a man whose face resembles that of a horse with a bow and arrows in hand. The Picatrix says, a man upon a donkey and before him a wolf. And this is a face of evil works, sodomites, adultery, of songs, joy, and of taste. Um, Agrippa says, in the third face ascendeth a violent man holding a bow, and before him a naked man, and also another man holding bread in one hand, and a cup of wine in the other. Um, The signification of these is to shew wicked lusts, singings, sports, and gluttony. Um, Okay. And... Yavanajataka says the third decanate in Libra is a man about to attack. The tops of his teeth are far apart and the hair on his body is long. He's wearing a heavy cover. He carries a bow and is armed with a helmet. He engages in the tricks of rogues. Um, yeah, all over the place. Um, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just giving like not so great 
not so great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, well, there's also this fightiness to it that you know you wouldn't expect from Deccans and Libra, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a fightiness, and yeah, onto examples. My first example is uh, Martin Luther has Jupiter in this Deccan <laughs> in Libra, and it's in his third house, ruling his fifth and his eighth. And I think folk, I, I've seen folks can sometimes sleep on the third house, like, because the third house is associated, sure, it's associated with siblings and local community, mm-hmm. but there is, because of that third house, ninth house access, like, spirituality and religion absolutely fall in the third house, especially when it comes to, like, kind of more, the more ritualized part, um, the routine parts of religion. And so, um, yeah, Martin Luther um, is known as the, you know, he sparked the Protestant Reformation, but a lot of how that began was he was, he was a Catholic, obviously, he was a Catholic um, priest, and he was, um, he was contemplating for a long time, like, what, what really brings you salvation, and at the time, and still actually today, the Catholic doctrine stated that you needed to have both faith in, you know, God as your mm-hmm. Savior and good works, and yeah. I think where he was really kind of mulling over, it was, just, it was really just a lot of quiet meditation was around just the good works part. Um, it didn't sit right with him that the, the church is basically selling forgiveness to people, right? Like you could pay money to the church and it's like, okay, like this sin is forgiven. Do go, and you have to do something like 10 Hail Marys or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So um, this obviously really changed the, the course of history, right? Like the Catholic Church mm-hmm. literally broke off into the Protestant sects. Um, so I see just that Jupiter, the fact that that Jupiter rules his eighth house too, um, leading to end the, the ends of things. He got excommunicated from the Catholic Church and then went on to like start um, his own church. Um, yeah, to me, <laughs> to me, that was just really, really loud. Um, yeah, a lot of his actually really started. It all began with just really just his very very quiet. Because um, he had to be really really. He was scared. He was scared of even just sharing, talking to other priests about this, some of this, because he realized that this could be very mm-hmm. very heretical. This could be sacrilege. Uh, no, it's interesting that like you have that. Uh, because like there's this weird range of like people who are like, uh, like they're like. Almost like, you know, some of the Gemini stuff, um, they're like dilemmas that you have to solve that you can't solve. And so um, I think it's interesting that that's also coming up here. But like another thing that I've seen is like people who are into like, like weird-ish things. And I have two examples of that. So uh, H.P. Lovecraft has the moon Mm -hmm. conjunct Uranus in his first house. and, you know, he was somebody who's known to be, you know, a bit reclusive and kind of out there. And what struck me about him is that, you know, he's kind of seen as like a progenitor of like a lot of horror or like um, science fiction type things. Right. And, you know, I feel like some of that is like the Uranus piece. But um, also, like he was known as someone who had like a lot of weird um, like ticks and behaviors and um, things like that. And so, I I don't know, it's just really interesting. And I think of the altered states or, like, other forms of, like, consciousness or planes of existence, because I feel like those are themes that come up with his writing a lot, which, you know, even though he wasn't known for it, like, while he was alive, like, posthumously, it, like, blew up, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then the other person I think of is David Lynch, who has Jupiter in the 12th. Um, if you've watched any of his films, like, you know what I'm talking about. He plays a lot with, um, you know, distortions of perception and reality and, um, fuck, I can't remember. There was one movie. It's not, it wasn't Blue Velvet or, uh, Mulahan Drive. It was, uh, fuck. It was another one that was really popular that had Patricia Arquette and, uh, somebody else in it but you know he kind of plays with those things so I think it's really interesting that that shows up in the artistry of people who have like you know the fifth house ruler like in this decan like that's or like the tenth house ruler in this decan like that's a really um interesting thing that comes up right yeah um, um, I I have one example of someone who does have the fifth house. It's in his fifth house, um, and it does uh-huh. pull his fifth house. Is Will Smith okay. has Mercury and Venus? Oh conjoined. God, I'm glad you brought <laughs> Will Smith up. Like, <laughs> I think it, so. The, it's the, the, he has Libra in his fifth house. He, the fact that he has Mercury and Venus there means right, like it rules a good chunk of his chart. Like his first mm-hmm. is a Gemini rising, so his first house, first house, fourth house, fifth house, twelfth house. I see that come up in a couple of ways. Like one, um, you know, one of the things Will Smith is known as is um, in, in the in the Hollywood business is he often does. Not, I don't know if it's so much true anymore. It probably still is, but um, especially in the '90s when his career really took off, he would not agree to do movie scripts unless his team was allowed to go through the entire script and like basically rewrite it. So that it like is <laughs> tailored to his acting range and skills oh and God, you know and the image and the it. brand that they wanted to come up for Will Smith, right? So that's why when you look at especially 1990s, early 2000s Will Smith, you see <laughs> him playing basically the same character in just a variety of different settings. Um, but the other thing too is just like the fact now that um, you know, he's older and he's got these two his two children, right? Like are mm-hmm. now making like their careers. Like, like for themselves and stuff and his son in particular has been in at least two movies i could think of that like two mm-hmm. will smith movies um so yeah will smith was one example um of i have two son examples uh uh-huh. so both aoc and uh kim kardashian both have their sons in this deck in, in the 11th house and i think of the fact that like for them there's this like ability to like influence like i guess certain elements of pop culture through like their social media platforms and one thing i noticed that both of them do is that they they're kind of like very like i'm gonna give you the behind the scenes like stuff that doesn't always look super pretty which is very i feel like is a theme that does come up with this like um decan and i think of like you know the reality tv sort of like personality and again there's like this the boundary between it's like lifting the veil almost uh between like real versus not and so like i feel like where aoc does that with the process that goes on with congress with her like instagram lives and things like that mm-hmm. kim kardashian and her mom who has her chart ruler mercury in this deck in like pretty much did that right so yeah. I-, I think that's uh pretty interesting yeah. I have another good example for that. That, that this exact same theme of someone who has son in this decan um, is Doja mm-hmm. Cat. 
um, has her yes. son. And her ascendant. And her ascendant. In, <laughs> in this Deccan, um, that son rules, um, or sorry, um, rules her 11th house where her midheaven mm-hmm. is at. And again, like Doja Cat, Doja Cat, like, first started really making a name for herself when she came out with Moo, which um, yes. was more of, like, a viral success meme type thing. Um, but she really has leverage. Like, she started her career in SoundCloud, but, like, now, like, is just so big on TikTok, YouTube. Like, mm-hmm. her social media presence has really is really what really, really kind of boosted her. Yeah. You know, uh, another good chart example, like, speaking of... Wait, let me see if it's... I don't know if this is third house. This might be second house. Let me double check. Because uh, I think of the founder of Twitter. He has his moon here. And his lot of fortune. <laughs> Jack Dorsey. Um... Uh. Oh, it's not a third house moon. It's just he has like a late he has a late Virgo rising. So like it's a second house uh, moon in Libra ruling the eleventh. And I think it's interesting how he's like built this uh, social media platform. Like there's something very memeable about like that third decan of. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just looking at this and it's comical to me. Like there's just something really memeable um, about uh, this final decan of libra that i feel like he's been able to capitalize on and build this social media platform on and i think of the fact that the moon has to do with like familiarity and uh the fact that he's designed this platform that kind of lifts the veil into like what's going on in people's lives and it's like creating the illusion of uh familiarity with other people that seems to be really popular and i think of how a lot of people who've benefited from platforms like twitter tend to have placements in this part of the zodiac so like doja cat or um you know the kardashians or um a bunch of other like people like again aoc like other influencers as well like have been able to benefit from this like i don't know that's just stuff that i i think about yeah Um, I have an example of someone who um, this is who I think it still tracks, even though she's not really big on social media. But I find it really interesting that Jessica Biel has her Saturn here. Um, it's retrograde in her eleventh house, rules her second and third house, and it's always been fascinating to me that she's still like for someone who isn't really as active as other Hollywood folks, like she hasn't really done too much in recent years. Like she's still like kind of known and seen, but Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing, the biggest, unless she kind of does bigger stuff throughout at the end of her life, which is very possible, right? With a Saturn, (laughs) um, with a Saturn placement like this, like maybe she will do bigger things as she gets older. But the fact that like she, was in seventh heaven which is the longest running wb series um and the longest family drama like ever um to mm-hmm. me it just screams like that saturn in this decan yeah um no that's really that's really interesting <laughs> and then let me see if i have other I mean, I have other, the only other example that I feel is comical to share is Marie Antoinette, because I feel like um, (laughs) the indulgence piece is also very loud with this particular decan and placements in it. And I think of her famous line, let them eat cake. Like, you know, it's like, I feel like there, with this particular decan, there's this very much, there's very much this, oh, you can't win, 
with certain people. So like using um there's there's like a I don't know if you feel this, but there's like a mockery of like haters almost that seems to come up with placement in this second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm glad you brought yeah. up Marie Antoinette a lot because I actually did when I was like in like ninth grade. I had to do a whole report on her on her biography, <laughs> so I actually know way too much about Marie Antoinette. The the funny mm-hmm. thing about the "Let them eat cake" line is it's very very likely she never ever said it, but it was one of those rumors that had come up. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, Marie Antoinette was the um, she was involved in even way before the revolution happened. Obviously, this built up to the fucking revolution. She was involved mm-hmm. in so many scandals around opulence. So regardless of whether she said it or not, um, the fact that the rumor mill was like going on about it and people believed it's it stuck. showed. But there's a whole affair, right, with the necklace. I mean, there's been number numerous movies that have come up around um, mm-hmm. the fucking diamond. I always forget what it's fucking called. But um, that she ended up just getting wrapped up in. She was constantly, even aside from the let them eat cake rumor, she was just always just wrapped up in rumors. But um, the really funny thing, like, that biographers cover with Marie Antoinette is, like, um, personality wise she was kind of just like a normal if not boring kind of person who just happened to be born into this station of life it didn't really ever seem like it's not like she was really a malicious person or an ambitious person she just happened to be fucking born (laughs) with this and she was and then she was but she was eating it all up too it's not like she was out there being critical of um this lifestyle either and just the political system so yeah no that's that's pretty funny um yeah like I don't know there's this like I don't know there's this like sort of like mockery or like what have you that seems to like come up with placements in a second whether they're the people doing that like you know making memes or platforms for memes or you know on the receiving end of that because I think of like AOC for example and Mm -hmm. Kardashian they're always being made fun of all the time (laughs) considering considering the fact that they both have fallen sons that's a that's pretty wild uh but yeah like I have one more example and um I think this kind of rounds out just like my this is my last one because I started Mm -hmm. with talking about Martin Luther as someone who really kind of went out there and challenged like a very very established and powerful system the Catholic Church but I have um, one final example of someone with Venus and Mercury in this Deccan, and he's an artist from the 1800s named Alexandre um, Cabanel, and you've probably never heard of him, and I'm sure most of the people you're listening have never, (laughs) ever heard of him. And it's funny because in some ways he went the other way around where uh, during his time, he he was active during a time where artists like Monet – the impressionists like Monet, Manet, like all those folks who you probably they got probably folks you actually have heard of or at the very least have seen of their paintings, were starting to um, you know get into the scene. This guy was on the opposite, and he was like a total hater of that art style. Mm-hmm. Like he staunchly believed in like no, we have to continue to paint classical based artwork. So he's very he's most famous for this like. 
this painting of Venus that like again no one most people have never ever seen because it's just kind of boring but yeah. the fact that he um you know I feel like a lot of the Libra Deccans are about making a call it's about making a choice um and so his call was like no we gotta stick to what's tried and true we're gonna continue with this classical <laughs> art style of painting and he was very very successful during his time he was commercially and materially successful He's now like pretty much forgotten. Like unless you're an art history nerd like me, like you will never have ever heard of him because he didn't, he uh, just didn't really do anything to innovate. I feel like this is also a cautionary tale of people who have places in that Deccan of Libra because, you know, again, like I think of the, um, you know, the futility of like memes. And if you're not like, constantly generating content or like you know digestible pieces because i think of like the juxtaposition of both mercury and jupiter like ruling the deccan uh having to do with bite-sized pieces of something and like making it palatable like i think that you know eventually people get tired of those fads and like want to think about other shit so (laughs) um yeah, but I, I don't know. I also think that there could be something, at least with that last decan of, like, you know, indulging in, like, you know, substance use and things like that and using that to, like, connect to whether that be the spirits or, like, some other form of inspiration. That's another thing that could also come up, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh Yeah. Ooh, Libra Deccans. Yeah. yeah, this one was fun. I think that's yeah. it, though. I, I don't have anything else to add on Libra. I don't either. And we'll see you guys during Scorpio season. Yes. Enjoy Mercury Retrograde, everyone. Best of luck through all of these retrogrades and then stationings. But yeah, we'll see you all for Scorpio season. Bye, Mo. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.